Oracle Soup. Dishing up tasty morsels of tarot wisdom and other oracular tidbits with your hosts, Katrina Wynn and Gina Thies. Two saucy sisters broadcasting from the magnificent Oregon coast and from deep in the heart of Texas. And inviting your questions about tarot, oracles, counseling skills, reading advice, and more. Be sure to visit our website at oraclesoup.org to listen to our podcast archive. You can also visit us on Facebook and like our Oracle Soup page, where you can share your wisdom and request for Oracle Soup topics. Soup is hot now, and it's ready to be served. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Oracle Soup. We are Gina Thies and Katrina Wynn. And we are so happy to have you join us here at the kitchen table. We have another interesting episode of our conversation and are so very happy to be sitting at a fine meal with someone very special. A very fine tarot person in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, we are joined by Robert M. Place. And so the very prolific um, Mm -hmm. artist historian, scholar, and just an all-around fantastic guy <laughs> who I love dearly. You know, um, and also, besides being a writer, one of my favorite things to do with him is whenever I go to New York, like I go to Reader Studio or something, he gives us a personal, uh, let's say, visit to the archives and always brings in interesting decks of his own that are historical, as well as seeing what they have there at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in uh, New York, right there off the Central Park. So, I mean, he's just so resourceful and he does great work with other people, too. Getting to know him, he is has a great sense of humor, very approachable, and just when he starts speaking about, you know, the history of stuff and anything, I, I'm just sitting there like, eyes wide open going, oh, tell me more. He knows art, especially ancient art. And, you know, just to kind of give you a sampling, a large sampling of some of the things he's designed that maybe you've heard of, he did the alchemical tarot. And then the Alchemical Tarot Renewed, and of course that's probably his most popular deck. He then did one of his favorite decks, which is the Tarot of the Sevenfold Mystery. Uh, Now one a little less known is the facsimile Italian Renaissance Woodcut Tarocchi, Tarot of the Saints, which I actually have, the Buddha Tarot, which I'll talk about in a moment, my all-time favorite, the Vampire Tarot, which has a very unique perspective. Oh, yes. Yeah, I noticed you oh, kind yes. of asked that. Yeah. I have that, and I will not open it. I, it's so special and rare. <laughs> and you, every th- I always forget to bring it to have him sign it, but I have that. And I'm like, it's so precious, especially where I found it even yes. more special but so many works yes two of them and one of them he signed oh well and then the angels tarot which is quite rare these days and then on my wish list is the marziano tarot and we'll be talking about some other things he's come out with recently as well and of course you probably are familiar with his book the tarot history symbolism and divination which i believe he's in the process of sort of renewing his uh what's beautiful about the alchemical tarot deck 
is that he has a booklet which is very well researched, lots of information. So he's actually updating that information with history. And I, I personally cannot wait for that to come out. I just can't. Well, it's so it's so wonderful that the history of Tarot doesn't stop the history of even Lenormand, all this stuff and we have someone that is on it you know they are constantly upgrading because people just you know they know what they know and, and and that's it but he definitely um continues to be at the forefront of um all things oracle and the history uh of of yes. it so if you um and he's happy at, at all times to talk about what he's doing <laughs> right he really is he's like a walking talking encyclopedia but in a slightly different flavor than our last guest which was christine payne taller you know they but they overlap and they really complement each other and to tell you the truth these were two of my three go-to people when i created my tarot history poster because i really wanted to track the history of tarot and i'm going to be upgrading it and updating it after his next book most likely but hey hey why don't we each pick out one of our favorite decks and just spend a minute talking about it for our listeners? Well, I'm really happy and excited to have the new Raziel Tarot um, that he's uh, co-created with uh, Rachel Pollock. So I'm just the just the the fact that the name and the, the Hebrew side of it and what all that entails. And of course, I have we said one, but I do have two versions of the alchemical tarot, but. I know, and I love the alchemical, but my all-time favorite is the Buddha Tarot. It might be out of print now, I'm pretty sure it is. And the book that comes with it, you know, this is what's so cool about Robert, because I talked to him about this, because I was trying to do some research on the history of Buddha, and he basically said, it's very hard to find that history, and there's not necessarily one story, Mm -hmm. there's not like a lot of agreement. (laughs) It's kind of like when you're trying to research uh, King Arthur you know, story and, Very and trying to, yeah, yes. yes. So I really like his version and I, I really trust his research and that's the one that I use, but I love the deck. It's so deep and illustrative and reflects Tarot and the template in the background, as well as telling the story of a particular figure as their hero's journey or their fool's journey through the Tarot. So I'm, I'm forever grateful. And that's actually how I first met him is when he was doing the research on that back in 1999. Everybody needs to have it least one of Robert's uh, decks or books in their collection and we just can't wait to share his wisdom with you today right. in our table conversation. Yeah, if you don't own his stuff, get something but until then, hopefully this episode will hold you over until you do. Alright, kitchen table conversation in the house. <laughs> and I'm Katrina Wynn. I'm sitting here with Gina Thies. We're getting ready to talk with someone that I know I am amazed by. This is a person who not only can write, but is also an artist and does a diversity of decks, but in particular has done some of my very, very favorite decks because of all the historical uh, research and associations that have made on the cards themselves as in the deck as a whole 
And then, of course, writing these incredible books. So this is, he's like the full deal here. And we're talking about Robert Place. Welcome to our kitchen table. I hope you're enjoying the wonderful fish that we provided. I think you oh, like salmon, you. right? Right, salmon. Did you catch this? You know, I <laughs> I, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> or did your dog catch it? <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, what he's talking about is, you know, where I live out here in Oregon, and I've got this river running through my property. That's actually where three different types of salmon spawn, and my dogs were known for going and getting salmon. But for those of you who don't know, you do not want your dogs going out there and getting the salmon while they're spawning because it could poison them. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing. You learn something new every day. Every day, I tell you. Well, I know Robert's interested in details. He's interested in history. He researches the origins of things. And so he's the kind of guy that wants to know these things. Yeah, well, did you know I was a pescatarian before you made this meal? (laughs) (laughs) Little birdie told me. Really? Oh, that's good. Most people, I tell them I'm a pescatarian, and they just think it means a pest, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But he is cute as a bug. And he's got such great humor, and he's really, really sharp in his wit. And uh, I just thought maybe, I don't know, maybe you could tell us a little more about history. I know you okay, do well, a lot of research. Wanna, what do you want to know? What do I want to know about history? Yeah, just give me a question. All right. All right. Well, we don't really do interviews, but uh, let me see. An area of history I'm particular. You know what? I actually enjoyed at one point in time hearing you talk about the history of paper and how that, of course, led to the development of playing cards and obviously tarot cards, something that we're very interested in here. Well, see, that's the big... The, the problem most people have when they're talking about the history of the tarot is you have to define what a tarot is in the first place so they get all over the place because they're all defining it differently. You know, like a lot of the occultists would talk about how, how the tarot came from ancient Egypt, but the problem is the Egyptians didn't have any paper. So if, there's def- if you're defining the tarot as a deck of cards, and a deck of cards is defined as images drawn or printed on paper then how could the Egyptians have made them? Because they didn't have paper. So it's impossible. So then, over time, some occultists realizing that start making up stuff like, uh, well, originally they were you know, engraved on sheets of gold, or they were really paintings on columns in, in a temple. And this is, and, but this is all, obviously, it, it's, go, it's going backwards in, in, in figuring out the, what happened, because you, you already have a, a goal you want to have happen, and therefore you make up uh, a scenario that explains it, but my question would be to them: Well, where's the evidence? <laughs> you know, where, have you ever seen these gold tablets? Have you ever seen them written anywhere? Have you ever seen the description of these columns? So, like, uh, they can add in their speculating. That would help. But it would help. But, but Paul Christian actually went so far as to say that the temple with the paintings of the tarot images was described in Iamblichus's uh, book. Uh, uh, on the mysteries, which is about the ancient Egyptian mysteries, which it's not in there. <laughs> he just lied because <laughs> he knew most people wouldn't read it because it's boring, you know. <laughs> and you know, that's this is the thing that really fascinates me because you live in New York State. And you, of course, teach uh, special classes at least twice a year at the Met, Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York, right there off the park. And a person who 
is researching history. He's got to have some great resources. So I know, Gina, you do a lot of research because of your deck and your book. And I do research because of things I like to teach. And I'm just curious about each of you, if you could talk about some of the resources that you have found particularly accurate and helpful. Well, I just follow Robert's lead. <laughs> um, I I always look at where my question is, where does it come from? And I just keep going back and looking at references and just keep, keep going back and back and back. I mean, you know, if you're looking at ancient history, you don't know until you have the resources of somebody else that has done the research. So I just go back as far, far as I can and look for, you know, kind of line up and kind of like follow the dots, connect the dots. Um, and that's, um, you but where know, do like, you go to get those dots? Books. <laughs> Where? The dot book, of course. Book, books, uh, articles. Um, if I can get to, I mean, in, in Texas, I mean, I'd rather come to New York to go to places like the Met and the Morgan and uh, look at their resources. But um, articles and um, interviews and sometimes television. See what they're, who's researching, who they're interviewing, and look at their stuff. So, do you ever go to maybe the countries of origin? Oh yes, I've done that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, Spain, Crete, Egypt. I was looking for the tarot deck in Egypt, by the way. I didn't. I didn't. I even went underneath the um, pyramids and didn't see anything. I was in, yeah, I was in the pyramids. They, it, it's it's basically empty. Yeah. <laughs> just there. It's very impressive, empty rooms, but they're just empty. But but anyway, okay. About resources, the thing is, you know, I I regularly teach at the Met, and we go we go into their print room, and we pull out all the stuff. It's, but the but how I how do I know what to ask them to pull out? Well, you know, I go there. I, I, at first, I would just make an appointment, go there, and look through. the things but now what I do at home they have a really great um, w- you know if you go to the Metropolitan Museum uh, of Arts website and you look in, in where it says art in the collection and you click on it they have a lot of the uh, they have almost you know m- most of the things that are, are, are listed and with the cat with their catalog numbers right and then and even and, and more and more they're putting pictures of, of the pieces so you can see what they look like so that's how I research more and more what was in their collection and then you want to have the catalog number so you can tell them what to pull out so a lot of these libraries at museums have excellent databases, and they have them on site for people who want to do the research and then go in and see them personally, but you usually have to make an appointment. Uh, I know for me, I went to the British Museum in London, and that was very, very helpful. In fact, you know, one thing that I enjoyed... They have a, they have a great... Uh, uh, you know, website too for the British Museum. Absolutely, and another thing, just sort of as a side note, that all of us, you know, need to heed is that you read the library's materials, you find out what is public domain and what is private. What things are you allowed to use, like in your book or in your, let's say, a PowerPoint presentation or on your website, or what you cannot use unless you have special permission or pay a fee even. Some things require fees. So in terms of respecting what they consider to be their domain. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's just they're usually very generous, most of them, in allowing you to use images. And it's amazing, like I know Gina and I, we love going to the Morgan Library. You're right, because we get to see some of the original cards there, like the Visconti, with the actual gold on it. And you can get the sense of the stippling and the three dimensions there. And of course, Robert knows all about this stuff, right? Well, well yeah. Um, 
This is, well, the technique they use on the gold is what I would use on metal. It's called chasing, but when you do it, you know, when you do it on the paper, it's usually called embossing. But it's basically you're using different tools to punch in and indent and indent, uh, you know, the, the the surface that you create a decorative pattern. So I have a question for you. Just thinking about this, you've been you've had an interest in tarot for some time. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, looking at either timeline, in terms of what you know historically about tarot as on paper, and seeing the influence and things that are happening now, or is there anything that's surprising you that you're interested in? You see other people doing that's like, wow, you know, tarot has really come a long way. Tarot has come a, well. I guess the most surprising thing is that the people got have become interested in the lunar mondex recently, which is looked like it was dead. Because uh, see, the thing is, when I first started doing lectures at the museum, we'd pull out, you know, they have some of the oldest printed tarot cards in, in their collection, and we'd pull them out and we'd look in from Ferrara from like the uh, late 1400s, and then uh, we would they have they have original. Uh, Tarot of Marseille decks, you know, the, the Convert deck, which is the one that cultists and so on. And, then, and so we, we go on through the ages. You know, there'd, there'd be the Minchiati from Florence, and there'd be the uh, German decks of cards, and, you know, there's all these decks of cards. And when you get up to the 1800s, late 1700s, 1800s, they have all these Oracle decks. And the, and that was the. There aren't any, there's hardly any tarot decks. There's all Oracle decks which were made for divination and game playing. And. And and we had no information on it when we first looked at it. And go, wow, this is really interesting stuff. And then and over the years, I found more and more and more stuff, and more and more people gotten interested in this. And it's, and the, see, the thing is, it's almost like like oracle decks in the 1800s were the divinatory decks that everybody went to. That hardly anybody was doing a tarot. I mean, there was the Atela, mm-hmm. and that was it. Atela was pretty popular, but as for a tarot. But there was no other divinatory tarot decks. I've noticed in the last, I'd say, maybe even, I'm going to go five years, there's a, a just a burst of oracle decks. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's not, it, it's sort of like, what makes an oracle deck and what makes a tarot deck? Oh, well, that's easy. I'll tell you. Okay, the thing is, when with cards, people, going back to the 1500s and even the 1400s, like for the most part, People used regular playing cards for divination. They didn't use the tarot as much. The tarot was just another, you know. All, first of all, cards are created to play a game, but you can use any game, you know, like dice were for game, but that's used for divination. Same thing with cards. In fact, a lot of the uh, divinatory practices used with dice were then applied to cards because the, the pip cards had suit symbols repeated to look something like dice. You know, it's just a, it's about numbers. Okay, so but, but we if we look through the records, we can see that m- most people were interested in using cards for divination that were just regular four suit decks and uh and that's what uh like there we like we have records now that are, we know that in the 1500s in spain there were professional card readers which we didn't know before and and they just used regular four suit decks but they used the spanish decks which look a lot like the minor suits in the tarot with the mm-hmm. so- swords and cups and you know uh coins and staffs so uh as time went on, though, see, the, the, it's, it gets a little more complicated because the people say, oh, so they had cardomancy. But then my my friend Giordano Berte, who's a historian in Italy, like one, you know, one time I was showing some pictures, like the La Sorte, which is this book we look at at the Met, and it's like the oldest book I know where it's using cards for divination. And he goes, but this isn't cardomancy, you know. He's got really, you know, that's not true card. So I said, I know it's not cardomancy, but they're using cards for divination. Because what it is, the way they would use it, 
Either the, div the divinatory meanings were written as a poem on the card, or they were just a means of finding the meaning in a book, which are, these are called fortune books. And you could, they had these books where you'd use dice to find the right page. They had ones, like there's the man's books of fortune telling, and the first one's from the late 1400s, I think it was 1480s. Uh, it had a wheel with animals on it. You'd spin the wheel, and depending on what animal came up, you'd know what, where to go in the book, because you'd match the animal. And then, and then they started using cards instead. So you, so you take cards and then we match it, and then it matches to this poem that gives you a divinatory meaning. But when you look at the meanings, they're sort of disappointing. You know, they're more like uh, you got you really drank too much last night. You made an ass of yourself, and, <laughs> and you really shouldn't go after your neighbor's wife like that. And you know, <laughs> You're just a hot mess. That's what. I mean. <laughs> yeah, they were. You know, in poetic form, of course. <laughs> but it's so telling of. The typical questions that come oh, up. Oh well, in well the that's one of the things we do at uh, you know at the, at the Met. Like I, I have a translation. Like we get out the La Sorte, which means the fates, which is this book was uh, printed in in uh, uh, 1540 in uh, Venice, and uh, it and it, it has uh, you know there's pictures of of cards, but they're only the suit of coins. You know, so it wouldn't matter whether you use a tarot or use a regular suit, a regular deck, because it's just the suit of coins. You never there's no trumps in it. There's, there's some royal cards and then the pips, and then there's pairs of them. And then, but the but the thing is, the book only answers 50 questions. So there's a list of the 50 questions, and they have there's like 13 questions for men, 13 for women, and the rest for for, for either. And so the so the questions I, I like to read them off. You know, I have them all translated. So some of the questions, like for men, is it better better to marry uh, an ugly woman or a beautiful woman? <laughs> Reminds me of the lover's card. Yeah, yeah or like There's a song uh, about that somewhere. Yeah, I know. It reminded me of that song. And then, and then one of the questions for women was, is it, it you know, will the woman suffer for her love? <laughs> you know, which is the answer. Someone's always yes. So. <laughs> oh, that's right, and and there's a bias too, isn't there, between like the male questions and the female? Yeah, yeah, questions right. They definitely. Is. But answers. but then when it comes to the the ones for both, some of the questions are really interesting. Like one of them is, will the world ever find peace? Which you know, it's like what they always ask, you know, Miss America. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And somehow the answer hasn't changed too much yet. Yeah. Well, the, the answer has always been no. So. <laughs> Nah, no, nah. <laughs> but that, but then when you look at the, see that so the things you get two you get two cards you 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 shuffle and get two cards and then the, you match the two cards with a page in the book where you see the same two cards and then there's a, there's like allegorical figures of virtues and vices on the pages but but then it leads you to another page where you pick another card and then that one card leads you to another page where where once you pick a card to go with it then you find those two cards in the last section where they have the philosophers on the page and then you have your answer so like on under the page with socrates uh the the first answer was something like Peace will come in measures after much trouble. You know, it's like one of the. It, looked, it sounded like something from, uh, you know, the newspaper astrology chart. <laughs> or one of those weight machines, right? Where yeah. you put the penny in. and. But it also actually reminds me a lot of the I Ching and the way it works because you get the two trigrams, which creates a hexagram, and then you get changing lines, and that sends you to another hexagram. But. I mean that's fascinating, and and so these museums really have a lot of interesting well, remember, material. Giordano, Giordano told me this is not cardamancy. Okay. Because Card, cardamancy means that when you use the cards, that each card has a meaning in itself. You don't have to write a meaning on them, and you don't have to find it in a book. So that didn't really happen until the late 1600s. So cardamancy developed around that time, and, and it really got going in in the uh, 1700s, but. You see, the, what happened 
in the in the uh, in the late 1700s into the 1800s, they had this really ingenious idea. They said, "Well, this is sort of you know sort of difficult having to memorize the meanings for all these cards, and uh, why don't we just make a, a divinatory picture on the card, and we'll just have a little insert of the playing card." Yeah, <laughs> I've learned so so much just talking to you. I go, I get it, I get it, I yeah. get it. Yeah, I finally understood Lenormand taking one of your classes. Just like just like that, it's like, oh, I get it. Just from the historical. Um, explanations that you were giving, and so it's like well, it, it makes sense. Now it's it's sense. it's not like just something you got to memorize. Now it's like right. it has a reason. Right. And plus, you have a book out that really spells these things out and has is very updated about the history. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, my new book is called The Tarot: Magic, Alchemy, Hermeticism, and Neoplatonism. It's a, it's a, I tried to keep the title short as I could, but well, you just didn't <laughs> yourself, could you? <laughs> but, but I have it covers all those topics. Yeah. So it, it's ba- see my book that I had, that you know that I had my main book before this was called uh, Alchemy and the Tarot, but that's now out of print, and I didn't want to put it back in print, even though it's being translated into Chinese and and uh, Portuguese. But one, but I sort of reworked it for the translation because I wanted to make it a broader book because it. it the, the original book focuses on my uh, alchemical tarot, right? Besides talking about the history of alchemy and the history of, of cards, and then, it, but it focuses on the cards from the alchemical tarot. So it seems like it's too focused, and I want to have a broader book. So the ones I, I, the translation ones for the alchemical discussion of the trumps, for instance, I use the Marseille deck, and then in the end I talk about, I just have an appendix where I talk about the alchemical tarot and what they mean. So now this book I cited, I'm just going to. I'm really. I just got to explain this whole thing so it all makes sense, right? You so just, you just got to do it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank so you. I'm starting with shamanism, and then sh- and then going into ancient Egypt and the Middle East, and and, to- and showing these mystical ideas that become eventually Neoplatonism and 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 revived in the Renaissance and incorporated in the Tarot, and then how the occultists discover and reinterpret them, and it goes all the way through, and and then right to to. You know, when we discuss the, the cards, right? And so, the, so when I discuss the cards, I'm discussing the, a card from the Marseille deck, the Wade Smith card, the Alchemical Tarot card, and my Tarot of the Sevenfold Mystery. Mm-hmm. So, like, so there's four basic cards, and sometimes I put the Atela in there, or if it was pertinent, or you know, and I do that then with all the pips too. So the book's getting longer and longer. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, and I'm going to have to update my Tarot history poster now. <laughs> Well, on that note, thank you for giving us a little synopsis of your history book, because I think it's something that should be on every Tarot Library shelf. Oh, I'm sure it will be on mine. <laughs> well, thank It'll you probably so- take up the whole shelf. Oh, well, this big book, right? <laughs> or literally a big no, book. No, I hope it's not that big. <laughs> well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us here at the kitchen table. And this has been such an honor and pleasure. And you can punk us anytime. <laughs> punk you anytime. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> He's speechless. There we go.
Thank you for spending time with us on Oracle Soup. We invite your comments and podcast suggestions on our Facebook page, also called Oracle Soup. And be sure to visit our website, oraclesoup.org, for hot new servings of our saucy talks. You can also subscribe to the Feed Burner or listen to our pantry of Oracle Soup archived recordings, along with articles and links to more resources. And be sure to visit our personal websites to receive more information about us and the things that we offer individually. For Katrina, visit tarotcounseling.org. And counseling is spelled C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G dot org, like in Oregon, O-R-G. And for Gina, visit tarotadvisor.com. An advisor is spelled A-D-V-I-S-O-R. This content and the content of these podcasts are intended only to provide a summary and general overview on matters of interest. It is not intended to be comprehensive, nor does it constitute legal advice or legal opinion. This content is intended, but not promised or guaranteed, to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. You should seek legal or other professional advice before acting or relying on any of the content. And thanks again for listening to Oracle Soup. Y'all come back now.